Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, puttering around the Zonko's Joke Shop of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who really like the idea of a tiny scops owl for local deliveries. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Annoyed that these books present so many things that are cute and desirable that I will never be able to have. We, many, many episodes ago, I promised you... You did! ...that that we got to see the post office. And the time has come. So, but Spencer, they're a thing. Yes, that I will never actually own because it would be a horrible idea. This is a delightful thing to to ponder owning an abstract rather than in the actual real world. I mean, doesn't your state have, like, the most lax laws of owning pretty much anything? Well, yeah, Tiger King kind of demonstrated that. Florida and Oklahoma lead in those categories. And to be fair, Spencer, Christmas is coming. I am a state of where we have a massive, (laughs) invasive population of boa constrictors in the, you know, in our swamps around our cities as a result of too many people owning them and just releasing them into the swamps every now and then. Well, it seems like a predatory owl could (laughs) combat some of that. Are you suggesting that a tiny little local delivery owl would stand much of a chance against this owl? But I would also just like to point out that we are now describing the Florida version of if you give a mouse a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing is, I could a hundred percent see Spencer walking a bird on like a leash and it either flying around or hopping around like whatever it is um there's a video at some point of a guy walking a goose or a swan or something and he was on a crosswalk and it was flapping its wings and going across with them in this age where we're learning the real history about our founding fathers did you guys ever know that benjamin franklin used a tiny little dwarf owl as a way of picking up chicks for what when he was in France serving as a diplomat, one of his ways of enticing women, because the man was a rake when it came to picking oh, up God. People, Oh, God, yeah. Was that he would use a tiny little pygmy owl that he would have sleep in his pocket, and whenever he saw a woman that he would like, he would take it out and put it on his shoulder so that she'd come over and start chatting him up so she could hang around with the owl. Can confirm that works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am placing myself in 18th century France with Benjamin Franklin now, and yes, I believe, I believe that would work. Um, Just a heads up, you're probably about 30, 40 years younger than he likes, but (laughs) I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, he he, he tended to enjoy old and married. I think think in part because he just enjoyed the idea that despite the fact that was a dueling offense to, you know, cuckold the man, no one would dare challenge Benjamin Franklin. He was too popular to kill. There were other reasons that he enumerated. But... Let's get into Harry Potter oh, rather yeah. than the proclivities of uh, a founding father. Yeah. And listen, we have um, <laughs> varied and diverse knowledge on many different subjects, and the world needs to know. Um, but we do have some um, some segments that we do here in this our pottering around episode on the chapter entitled I've forgotten the number. Is it? Fourteen. I'm sorry. It's it's fourteen. Snape's Grudge. Snape's Grudge. So we have a rapid fire recap, which has gotten much more complicated due to new rules enforcement. There has been an executive order from our beloved Spencer. Mm. Um, Then we have uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, uh, which 
take a different form every time we do this, so I'm excited to hear what that's going to be like. Uh, we have newbies notes from Spencer. We have house points, which is going to be a real hullabaloo this time around. And Ooh. then um, questions and queries, which I have been forewarned that there will be several. <laughs> several more a just kind of comment. That, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're probably going to get a lot of questions here about, I fully expect you not to answer this question. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I, I honestly, I really appreciate being able to just say next question. <laughs> <laughs> it is your domain. So are we ready to set up the parameters for this recap? BJ, how, uh, how long are you giving her? Yes. So I am curious what you will encapsulate and leave out, but I will Fair. give you the, the longer uh, or the longest time with uh, 215, I believe it is. Okay. Hmm. Uh, because I think you might need it. This, this is a dense chapter. There, well, there are a lot of different important scenes in this chapter. But I'm also going to bet that you can do it in 205. I, so, full disclosure here, I wrote my notes. I practiced them once, and it was at 211. I threw out some sentences and did not practice again, so I have no <laughs> idea where we are. <laughs> Maybe just go for the five points, Sarah. Just go for the five. Get the five points. That kind of sounds like how my girlfriend <laughs> ends up writing some of her uh, word count related documents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, write it over, throw out some sentences. All right, it's fine. It's okay. It doesn't matter if there's a transition between these sentences or not. We'll be okay. Um, I am, I don't know. This whole system, Spencer, is... Thank you for your, your generous time allotment, BJ. This whole Spencer, this whole system, Spencer, <laughs> this whole Spencer applies yeah. as well, uh, is really bringing out the Ravenclaw in me. Because I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get this done. I'm gonna figure out how to do this. But I am also so discouraged at how bad I am at doing this right now. Go for the easy bucket, Sarah. You need to win. Just, I, you I am you in have a goal, points go right now. So I just have to get under 215 at this that's point, a, right? That's all you need. Okay, I'm not yep. going to do a bet, partially because I have no idea. <laughs> Don't worry about the snitch. We're just going for goals. Okay, mm -hmm. all right, okay. Um, um, Spencer, are you ready? The timer is ready. We believe in you, Sarah. At your pleasure. So everyone is pretty freaked out. Security is tightening. The fat lady is back. And Harry is in a deep moral quandary about whether to tell any authority about the Marauder's Map and secret passageways. Harry and Ron get an invitation to tea with Hagrid. Buckbeak is there, and Harry and Ron remember guiltily that they were supposed to be helping Hagrid prepare for his hearing, which is coming up on Friday. Turns out Hermione has been doing it, and Hagrid has a bone to pick with the boys about their treatment of her. They come back to, an, uh, to the castle to a notice about a Hogsmeade trip at the weekend, and Hermione is very upset that uh, Harry might sneak out again. His compromise is to take the invisibility cloak? On the day, he has to dodge Neville and a suspicious Snape before dashing down the passageway to meet Ron. Ron puts up with talking to Harry while he's invisible, and they go to the post office and Zonko's before heading to a highly haunted Shrieking Shack. They run into Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle there, who are predictably horrible to Ron about his family, Hagrid, and Buckbeak. In revenge, Invisible Harry starts literally slinging mud, which is great until Crabbe trips over Harry's cloak, exposing his head. They take off back for the castle, and Harry has to sprint through the secret passages to uh, try to beat them back, where he's met by Snape. In the midst of Snape's interrogation, he has some very interesting things to say about Harry's father, whom he was at school with, accusing him of rule-breaking, arrogance, and, worst of all, strutting. 
Harry loses it and claims that Snape can't get over his father saving his life. Snape counters by claiming that James only saved his life because he put him in danger in the first place. Then, forced to turn out his pockets, Harry tries to pretend that he's been carrying the Zonko's bag around since the last Hogsmeade trip and that the Marauder's map is just an old piece of parchment. When Snape tries to reveal its secrets, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prong start insulting Snape through script. Uh, Snape calls for Lupin because it's obviously full of dark magic. Uh, Lupin calls that ridiculous and convinces Snape that it's just a Zonko's product. When they leave, though, Lupin confiscates the map and admits to Harry that he knows the people who made it. When Harry meets up with Ron to go back to the common room, they are met by a distraught Hermione. Buckbeak is set to be executed. You did that in a minute and 59 seconds. You could have gone for the lower category. I also was going to guess two minutes. Damn it. <laughs> you done it even 15 points. Well, odd 15. Uh. Still, you, you made it back to zero. A clean okay. slate going forward. I will take that. I will take that. Uh, but there is a lot that happens in this chapter other yeah. than what I... No, what you, I yeah, I was going to say, like, had you covered more of the chapter coverage, it probably would have been a clo- closer to 215. But That's I understand why you didn't. Well, I did, yes, I decided to focus on the interaction between Snape, well, on the Hogsmeade trip and the internet interaction between Snape and Harry, because I do feel like those are the two main foci of mm-hmm. the chapter, um, although Neville does get a howler at one point, which is very funny, <laughs> <laughs> and I know is at least part of what I left out of my recap the first time around. Well, it, I mean, it's the chapter title, it's the chapter picture, and it's right in the damn middle of the chapter. It's clearly what the chapter wants us to focus on as, this is something important, remember this for later. Yes. So, a question before we get to questions, is, as I want to do. Do you think that the chapter picture is of the Marauder's map? I presumed it was, yes. Let me go back go back to chapter picture. I feel like I presumed it was, excuse me, presumed it was as well. I guess, yes, so I, I assume that, that it is. Okay, so all of these assu- like assumptions are in line with mine, but my uh, internal picture of the Marauder's map was nowhere near this big. Yeah, I saw this as being much more like tablet sized. Um, I yeah. will say that this is another one of those things that I think the the movies do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the Marauder's map actually like is almost origami like in the way that it folds up, so that you can see different levels of the castle by Ooh. unfolding it at different points. Oh, that's very that, cool. That's a mm-hmm. really cool idea. Yeah, so it does end Th- up actually being quite big. Does that actually big. come out in the books? Um, I don't remember if we get anything more specific than it's a folded up piece of parchment. Um, I don't think it tells us more than that necessarily. We do, maybe though, we do see more of the Marauder's Map specifically in, I think, the next chapter. So, okay, maybe. I, I, I don't remember the descriptions though. I'd be curious to see what uh, liberties or... Uh, choices that the movies make Mm -hmm. with the source material and I know there are a lot of people that sort of end up reading the book and have images from the movie in their head when they're reading it and yeah even though I've essentially not seen any of the movies like I definitely do as well because of how prevalent it Mm -hmm. is yeah um no that I mean that makes that makes sense. And as someone who sort of read the books before the movies, uh, before seeing the movies, obviously, um, I have a kind of, I guess a kind of hybrid understanding when I'm rereading mm-hmm. the books. Um, I'm, I very much sort of cherry pick on what I choose to choose to steal from the movies because it's relevant. But other than that, 
we'll just keep going. Um, so, so one of the things that I wanted to wheeze about is my entertainment with the trolls and how, <laughs> um, creepy they are. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I assume that JK Rowling was just entertaining herself with <laughs> the trolls and it's not really for the readers or maybe if the readers are the parents reading it to their kids. Um, so the the trolls are pacing the quarter and they're talking in grunts and comparing the size of their clubs. Mm-hmm. That's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Um, and so, and then the, the next one where they're leering at Neville um, because he's waiting outside of the common room for somebody to like let him in. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think it's hilarious that the security trolls can't let in a student, um, presumably because they're not told the passwords, which I get is, like, kind of security, but also leaving a student in a less protected area also seems like a poor choice. Uh, this also um, spe- seems like a particular punishment for Neville. <laughs> that, that too. <laughs> but I guess my... Uh, the connotation that I get with leering is not one that trolls should be doing mm. to students. And I wonder if this is maybe, because I, I agree with you as soon as you brought this up, I, I completely understand your point, BJ. I wonder if there's a slightly different connotation in a sort of British usage, usage of leering. And if it's more like it just blanket menacing instead Which, of some sort of like I sexualized something. Yeah. 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 I mean, I assume that's the case. I just wonder if like, if we actually just asked a bunch of people from England what their connotation of leering is. Like, does that, does that actually track? Um, I mean, we do know a couple of them, but um, I must say that I think other British literature that I've consumed, it does, is often used in the same way that it is used in American English. Okay. Um, but it might have like a sort of criminal to their intended target or something like that as well which Mm -hmm. is less common um i feel like leering this is a very stupid thing to say (laughs) go on but i associate that term with like jekyll and hyde Uh uh-huh is it Hmm. possible that that term is used in this novel and could shed some insight into this i don't know i might find out on the internet while you wheeze at us bj (laughs) that sounds good i was gonna say jekyll and hyde or um the portrait uh, Dorian? Oh, Dorian Gray. Yeah, Dorian yeah Gray. that would make sense, too. Although, Dorian Gray is always, because it's an Oscar Wilde book, it's always so wrapped up in sort of sexualized everything. that uh, Oscar Wilde? No. No. <laughs> I had a very long argument about that, that there, there was a lot of underlying um, connotations. Anyway, but getting back to Harry Potter... Um, which is what we're talking about. Um, the last couple of things that, that I wanted to mention was one, just the post office scene. I hope it made you happy, Spencer, it did. because it made absolutely no sense to me. It didn't. Okay. Um, it was a paragraph and completely nonsensical to me because it was just like, well, Harry had already gone to Hogsmeade and for some reason... They go to the post office for absolutely no reason, as far as I can tell. And Ron pretends to ask how long, like, how much of an owl would be. And 
then the owls just hoot and then they leave and it's just like well this is really f-. it it almost feels like this is a screenplay at this point mm-hmm. um and I, it, the the sentence like really amuses me because it's um they went to the post office. Ron pretended to be checking the price of an owl to Bill in Egypt so that Harry could have a good look around. The number of prepositions just makes <laughs> makes this like an unwieldy, hilarious troll of a sentence. Is it um, a leering troll, though, is the real I, question. <laughs> well, it depends on what they end up doing at the post office. I, <laughs> I suppose that's fair. Um, and then... Uh, the last thing that, that sort of thoroughly amused me and um, I, I feel like we had come across it and it may just have been uh, when we first encountered the map but all of the the people basically telling Snape that he's a pain in the butt um, <laughs> on the map mm-hmm. that I remember Wormtail before from before Mm-hmm. And I was trying to remember like where that had come up before, and uh, but I did think it was kind of funny that like uh, the insults that they hurl at him. Yes, and I have a number of questions related to this that I can't ask because mm-hmm. of who these people are. Sure. Uh, as an uh, as an update, sorry. Uh, oh, to leering. To leering. Leer is not used in Jekyll and Hyde at all, but it but is it used be. three times in uh, Picture of Dorian Gray. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And does it is used leer? between... Bo- yes, the picture does leer. Someone asks, mm. don't you see that accursed thing leering at us? Mm-hmm. Is that really about the picture? Yeah, I think that's right. Um <laughs> <laughs> And then, yes, uh, Dorian half-opened the door. As he did so, he saw the face of his portrait leering in the sunlight. And then, this one is interesting because this is the outlier. Um, So this is, uh, I don't know who's talking here, but it's a woman. And she says, strike me dumb if it ain't so. He is the worst one that comes here. They say he has sold himself to the devil for a pretty face. It's nigh on 18 years since I met him. He hasn't changed much changed much since then i have i have though she added with a sickly leer yeah i mean so does oscar wilde and and i would say that those overtones uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah anyway that's my update that's what i can tell you <laughs> thank you sir you're one this is one more service i can provide <laughs> a a broader literary context <laughs> Are you got any other uh, wizard wheezes for us, BJ? Um, no, I, I think that that's it for this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. But I will turn it over to uh, some newbie notes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to be brief on a lot of these, because this, as you guys have noted, is a very dense chapter, to the point that yeah. my only comment I'm going to make on owls is, Sarah, please tell me now I get to see them on screen when we watch this movie. Uh, you get to see a lot of owls, yes. Uh, how about the owl post office with cute little tiny owls in it? I don't think that you get to see the owl post office, but there are other tiny owls. You have taken the wind out of my sails before I even start, Sarah. I'm but just I, I trying, trying to, to report going. the truth here. Ah, fine. Uh, 
It would be very funny if she just completely lied to you there, <laughs> because it wouldn't it wouldn't matter for for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, but but I think you would remember Spencer, and that would be the best part. I, I, I would remember, and as we're approaching the credits, I'm just be staring at you throughout all of this. So we end up watching it in person. Um, all right. So starting off, I really actually feel bad for Sir Cadogan because nobody tried harder at their job. Nobody was more excited at their promotion. Nobody put in the legwork necessary for a more intelligent person to make that job work. But he was clearly not equipped to have the other additional necessary skills to make this position possible. Sorry, you tried. You tried so hard. There are there are some soft skills that are necessary for this. Yeah. I mean, it's again, I do feel bad for him. He finally had a purpose in the world. He was finally relevant. He clearly has been fighting for something like this for a long time. And yeah, he was. His ultimate flaw was Neville, as it is for all things. <laughs> uh, it's also interesting to see here that this chapter kind of made me realize that Ron's really not that popular. It's been kind of interesting to realize that thinking back, yeah, he really. We, we talk about like Hermione as being kind of a loner and just hanging out, but Ron, too, is not really like the center of the spotlight the same way that Harry is. And this kind of one moment that he's had, had in the sun to talk about his near death experience. He's really, you know, trying to get as much out of it as he can, because otherwise he's kind of a background character when it comes to the rest of it. everybody else interacts with him. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really realized that until now. Uh, Ron's question, why did he run? Good question, Ron. Why this did This was Severus another play? line that got cut out of my <laughs> recap. Yes. It, it, it's a good thing to point out here. It, it just mm-hmm. ties into, again, there is a lot of what's going on here that does not presently make sense. If he really wanted Harry dead, he could have done that. If he really wanted everyone in that room dead, we've seen, we've heard that he has the ability to do that. So what's going on here? Is he really that desperate to, you know, get away with it? He clearly is able to move sight unseen at will through this school, so it doesn't seem like that'd be that much of a challenge for him to get away. So why is he being so gun-shy when he's got these opportunities to just apparently accomplish his objective in life? I don't know. The book wants me to think about this. I'll make a note of it. We'll hopefully come back. Arc thing for this whole chapter. Poor Hagrid. God, this guy just has some rough times in his life. Between two of what seem to be his three friends in the world just ignoring him despite prior pro- prior promises to help him protect the life of his beloved pet, and now at the end of this chapter finding out that despite all of his efforts, despite him rising to the occasion to defend it, despite Hermione helping him out with preparing the defense... None of it ended up mattering at all. Probably because there were a sufficient number of bought-off Malfoy people on that board anyway that it wasn't going to matter. And also we heard previously from Hagrid that it's a community that basically tries to find ways to kill magical creatures. But still, again, he tried very hard to make this work and really went out of his comfort zone and it just ended up smacking him in the face. So, yeah, my heart goes out to him. I think he will definitely be a potential nominee for uh, our loser of the episode. So the other thing that I find very funny is like I th- Harry seems to decide animals are his pets and they kind of I would guess kind of go along with it because of who he is and his size mm-hmm. rather than like we actually want to be pets. Um, oh yeah, Buckbeak should not be a pet. <laughs> no, not by any definition. Also the the feeding methods were an interesting choice, shall we say. Um but like there's some i think it's a looney tunes or something like that where i can't remember i think it's a cat where this like young girl has a cat that she just like tortures 
because she's just like dragging uh, it around. Tiny Toon Adventures. Okay, I guess that's my image of every single magical creature and Hagrid. <laughs> It, it, it also uh, ties into explaining why uh, Hagrid's very much taking Hermione's side with, with respect to Crookshanks, is that, yeah, the idea of a dangerous pet that's possibly threatening all around him, Hagrid's down with that. He sees mm-hmm. no problems there. Although he does he does explain it in like a very reasonable way, which is like, yes, this is what cats do. What do yes. you think is going to happen here? And she does feel bad about it. She may be too proud yes. to admit it, but she's really torn up. This is kind of like the first of like two and a half haymakers that Harry gets thrown before this chapter is done. Mm-hmm. Of just question who you are and question what you're doing. You're kind of being a piece of shit. And one of the big ones to start here is that I thought you two would value your friend more than broomsticks and rats. And they have no response to that. They well, are... there's there's no way that they value friendship anywhere near to the level that they value like a nice broomstick. Like there's there's just no no comparison whatsoever. Oh, it, it's made all the worse because it's a hundred percent true. And them realizing mm-hmm. this about themselves is kind of the reason that they're you know cowed in the silence before they leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the other comment that I want to quickly make before you move on to the next thing is that. Um, my presumption is that magical creatures don't act like normal creatures because otherwise every owl would have eaten every rat and probably most frogs mm. by like mm. when they're delivering mail or whatever and and maybe even small cats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, th- this seems a little like let's just go along with the story which is fine. Um, I just feel like has the the uh, Weezer that I need to point that out. <laughs> yeah, there's no real explanation for, like, inter... Other than this ongoing saga of Crookshanks and Scabbers, there's no real um, discussion of, like, how these particularly different, like, pet animals function in the same space together. Because how Neville's toad has continued to survive... <laughs> it, yeah, it's completely unknowable. Trevor should be a thousand percent dead through... Uh, many different owl fights like i don't uh, uh, trevor is i'm sure is very quietly trevor the 345th i'm not assuming we (laughs) i am not assuming trevor continuity throughout this series Uh, but continuing on hermione is desperately trying to be a parent to these two doofuses and it's they hate her for it it's just one of the things where i feel like the maturing moment in this series will be harry and ron realizing that hermione was right all along about all things uh, but they're not there yet. Oh, God, you're such a Hermione. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, she still has her own numerous problems, but with respect to not finding active ways to murder yourself, she's usually gotten, she's usually offering pretty solid advice. They just do not want to hear it right now, particularly Ron, who is just nasty to her over the course of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry taking both the invisibility cloak and the Marauder's map with him made me so giddy because I've been complaining about this for so long. Is that these are the two objects that I see no reason shouldn't always be on his person forever. <laughs> these are the things that allow you to do all the things and stay alive while doing them. Just carry a backpack. That's allowed. <laughs> They'll always and on you. You will note that at the end of this chapter, not only has the Marauder's map been confiscated, but he, in fact, had to leave the invisibility cloak in the passageway so that he didn't get caught with it. Yep, he's lost all of his tools, all of his, all of his means of continuing to survive the story. He's going to die before this book is done. That's how that well, works. Well, so, so Harry has to conveniently not use and or not have any useful magic item. 
Yes. Or, or it needs to be in some way out of his immediate control, like, say, a phoenix that arrives at key moments. Indeed. This uh, is a hallmark of these stories, guys. Yes. I don't know what to tell how they you. work. I understand. <laughs> the character needs to be at a low moment so that the dramatic tension is built up for whatever threat they're on. I get that. That's basic literature. I'm yeah, really is, is this to, plot? I don't... <laughs> to see what happens in a couple of books when the deus ex might have to change. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are different deus exes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get to see, I mean, I feel really bad for a lot of characters in this chapter, but we get to see just how lonely Neville is before this chapter is done. We've really not spent enough time with him to find out what Neville just does on his own time, and it appears to be wander alone and be desperately lonely. Because the moment that he thinks he can spend time with Harry, you can just feel his giddiness just leaping off the page. Just even if it's doing homework together, he clearly doesn't have anybody to do that with. And that's just sad. And it reminds me again just how far Neville came in the first book and how he's been kind of out of focus for the last two and apparently has not been progressing much as a result of that. So, yeah, here's hoping for more Neville character growth before we're done because <laughs> it's possible. I know he, he, he went so far before the first book was done. What tickles you so much about that, BJ? Nothing, Nothing he can tell you, Spencer. Oh, God damn it. All right. Uh, do, do, do. Uh, we, I feel like Malfoy's sole role in this chapter is just to remind us he's a horrible person, which you kind of pointed out, Sarah, is that he's showing up here just to see, okay, you are vile and always measurable. Glad for the reminder. Let's literally throw mud at you. Yeah. Uh, it's also going to be reminded that Snape, as much as he is a despicable person, is no one's fool. That Harry's efforts to lie to him or hide things mm-hmm. from him are just pathetic. He sees through these in a heartbeat. And just, you know, in one key element... He knows that Harry's going to come back through the statue, and he just hangs out there and waits to very clearly catch Harry. And Harry's just kind of surprised Pikachu facing this and just utterly caught off guard that Snape would be ready to catch him coming through the one place that Snape now knows you're going through. I I mean, especially after Malfoy did, in fact, beat him back. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things where, Harry, you got the invisibility cloak, go through the front door. Mm -hmm. Don't go back through the same passage again. But... Well, but then he would still have to go past the Dementors, is the problem. Do we know that the Invisibility Cloak wouldn't work on them? Yes, Dumbledore mentioned it in his um, startup term That's speech. true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was his, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> By the way, Harry, do you this. can't do this. Um, well, it does, doesn't matter over much if the Dementors even see him. He could just, you know, drop the cloak a few feet away from the door and walk in, and no teacher's going to notice. Uh, everybody's still off at Hogsmeade. But, again, he did not ponder other options. He went with the one means that he knew how to get back in, and it rapidly blew up in his face. And it's weird for me to say, but this is kind of counts for, like, the two and a half moments of Harry needing to question himself. This is the half a moment, because Snape has some really good points here about Harry's carelessness and selfishness when it comes to his own safety, and how many other people are invested in keeping him safe and are having a hard time of it just because of... Harry's unwillingness to accept any limitations upon him. All of those are good points. That's really crystallizing a lot of what Hermione's been kind of trying to politely hint at. But it's a bit diluted by the fact that Snape is such a dick in this conversation. (laughs) He cannot control, just keep in his just level of disdain for Harry, and particularly Harry's dad. I mean, I, I don't know if it's ever been made more clear previously that Snape hates Harry's dad so much. 
and knows from being you know, a smart guy who very clearly has invested a lot of time in reading weaknesses in people so he can exploit them that Harry is that Harry's dad is his is Harry's soft underbelly and he mm-hmm. just hits it hard over the course of this conversation and we learn a lot with it I mean I had actually forgotten the whole thing about Harry, about Harry's dad saving Snape's life I remember it now Dumbledore telling him that but it it's strongly being suggested here that Snape really would have preferred to have died he despises Harry's dad and we get some evidence for it too I mean I'm guessing it's probably true and that Snape's not lying that Harry's dad played a prank or participated in a prank that damn near got Snape killed and that's a big deal even at Hogwarts actually getting somebody killed rather than just seriously injured probably is still a problem and it's I'm assuming it's going to take like four books before we ever get a full picture of Harry's parents um, but the little tidbits we're getting about Harry's dad over the course of this book don't give us the best image. I mean, we've heard before that he was quite the, he and his little troop of friends were quite the hellions. They caused a lot of mischief, but there's going from, you know, little rascals to <laughs> plotting situations where your classmates die. <sighs> yeah, I don't have the best of read about who he is, but I'm not necessarily getting the best of things. Yeah, and it's clearly, I mean, I don't, we get a little bit of it in this chapter, um, but more of it is coming, and it is very distressing to Harry. It's also interesting to see, too, and I, I may be reading this wrong, there seem to be no small amount of envy in Snape's tone, too, when he's talking about Harry's dad. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm continuing to refer to as Harry's dad, because I've totally forgotten right now what his actual name is. James. James, thank you. I'll save a lot of time on saying that. <laughs> um, but him, his focus on, you know, too big for himself, his massive ego, his Quidditch Cup wins... It, Hey, he's hitting these because they're similar to, to Harry, but there also seems like there's a bit of a personal grudge there, too. Well, can you really imagine Snape as the height of popularity at any point no, in his life? No, And that kind of leads into my next point. This chapter is taking a hell of a lot of pains to remind me that Snape is not Alan Rickman and that he is not an attractive man. No. <laughs> Particularly over this confrontation with Harry. The detail it puts into describing his sallow skin, his uneven yellow teeth. The book is taking pleasure. It just kind of Describing this gremlin of a man that's leering over Harry in these moments. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, we go on to a very, very, very British series of personal attacks on Snape by the course of, the, of this map. Who are just it, this is this is like the French knights from Monty Python making fun of a person, and it's great. <laughs> uh, and it also, hmm? I, I didn't know if you're well. I'll let you. Are you going to to talk about Snape and? Uh, his reaction to the map. Yeah, sure. Go on ahead, BJ. Take take us through it. Um, so I found it odd, and and I guess presumably this is Lupin had to come in, and like this had to happen. But like it seems very uncharacteristic for Snape, who has been vying after this dark arts position, presumably before these books started, call somebody else in, and is just like. I don't see that's the point. I don't see that as the purpose. I, and this is, I don't mean this to be spoilery. I don't, I don't think it is. I, but I would say that the point of this conversation between Snape and Lupin is when Snape says, you think a joke shop could supply him with such a thing. You don't think it more likely that he got it directly from the manufacturers. Right. This seems to be Snape saying, I mean, and Lupin strongly implies this, that Lupin has prior history with this map. I mean, the fact he even mm-hmm. knows about its existence, knows what happened to it, says that mm-hmm. he knew about this when he was a student. And tying this back to, I 
correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but Lupin was a friend of James and was part of his posse? Yes, that's that's correct. We know that. So, so was he part of the group then, if we're doing deductive logic, that was involved in Snape's near death? Silence. Okay, we'll come back to that. So, but the, I don't know, just his reaction of, this is plainly full of dark magic, this is supposed to be your area of expertise, so like, do you think this was like a, I know that you know that I know... I think mm-hmm. he's. Bl- I think he's blaming Lupin for giving Harry this map. I think. I think he's trying to p- say that. Okay. Where, yeah. Where the fuck else did he get this from? You gave him this. This is just part of our prior history that you're trying to add to this and add to whatever I've got. We got between the two of us. This. And I've uh, seen that the two of you have become close and blah blah blah. Yeah. This, this mm-hmm. is. This is adding to Snape's paranoia that this map has suddenly reappeared and he know, he knows mm. what it is too. Um, always knows enough. He just to, can't get at it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't see it as a professional call. I saw it as you're all <laughs> against me, and I'm going to let you know I know this. Uh, do uh, Ron just randomly? Well, we also get uh, briefly Lupin. It's nice to see flu travel again. We haven't seen that in like a book and a half, and nice to see Lupin's engaging in it. Uh, Ron jumps in for the save with so, uh, like the key bit of necessary emergency testimony. <laughs> but how did he know? Did he like was was Snape yelling loud enough that Ron heard it in the hall as he was running in? But how did he know? This to... is going to be in questions. Like I feel like this can't be a newbie's notes. We can transition <laughs> into questions, but I feel like we need house points though because I have so many questions about this timeline. Oh okay. boy. Okay. Well, make, make it on that last point to bring up the last haymaker we get here is from Lupin who comes up with a doozy. Uh, your yes. parents gave their lives to keep you alive, Harry. A poor way to repay them. Gambling their sacrifice for a bag of magic tricks. That one cuts deep. To the point that even mm-hmm. Harry acknowledges that one cuts deep. Because he really likes and trusts Lupin and re- gets a lot out of the fact that they've got a close relationship. So to Lupin to just cut through it and go right to the chase is not, not necessarily devastating for Harry, but it's an, probably the most effective hit on him over the course of this chapter. And he's had a few hits. But yeah. we, as BJ noted, we'll have lots of questions here in a minute. But before we get there, Sarah, how's points? Oh God, I don't know. Um, <laughs> did any? So my real question is: Did anyone have a good chapter? Snape. Snape had an okay one, other than this seemed like it brought up past pain and trauma. And he got Malfoy. actively insulted by <laughs> a yeah. piece of paper, uh, yeah. and Malfoy got mud thrown at him. Although yep. I will say that, like, if we are just thinking comparatively about who had the best chapter, it or who came out the least scathed in this mm-hmm. chapter. It might be Malfoy. Or Hermione. I think Hermione is, and this is maybe a little bit outside of the purview of this chapter, but I think that we get enough evidence of Hermione continuing to be lonely and sad in this chapter. That's true, but I feel like as a character she would glory in I told you so's. That is... That is probably true. It's (laughs) it's true, but I think even Hermione's not very socially deft person that she is kind of recognizes that her friendship's a bit on the rocks right now and is desperate to get them close with her again. And so I think even she's kind of morally conflicted on the subject of ratting them out just because she's desperately trying to get back in their good graces. I would also say, and I know that my rules for this segment were that I did not look beyond the chapter itself, which I still hold to. Mm -hmm. Um... (laughs) <laughs> However, <laughs> uh, we do, in the very first part of the next chapter, get a tear-stained note from Hagrid oh. that I think would belie the idea that Hermione is taking a whole lot of pleasure from this situation. 
Yeah. Even getting to say I told you so. Can I offer the nominee of Ron just because he's such of a background character and main character skin that he just kind of avoids all the problems everybody else is going through? And he, I mean, he did show Harry a good time. In he Hogsmeade. did. And he got back in time. <laughs> he, he got back in the time to provide the key testimony to save the day. Yes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm breezing over that as fast as I can. Uh, so yeah, uh, Ron, winner of the chapter, unexpectedly. <laughs> I was going to say, and Neville continues to be sad and lonely but yeah. did better in this chapter <laughs> sort of it's just such a low point to start from to do better from though i know uh, um who's the loser good luck with loser that. of the chapter harry has had a really terrible chapter yes however uh hagrid <laughs> I, don't... I i don't think that we can overstate the trauma of what hagrid is dealing with at the end of this chapter I, so do you think this is worse than going to Azkaban? Yes. I think he'd voluntarily pick Azkaban over this, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that this is immediate. Mm-hmm. I think that he can, in some ways, logic himself out of some of Azkaban anyway. Um, but the immediacy of like this creature that he loves being executed for reasons that are objectively his fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we we saw how how what an emotional state he was in when he was just giving up his pet dragon. Mm-hmm. I mean that reduced him to a blubbering mess that was basically inconsolable. This, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know how he copes with this. Yeah, so I'm going to give that a bigger pile of dead ferrets. <laughs> the dead ferrets come up later in this book again. <laughs> oh God! Someone needs to make a compilation of just Hagrid's wars on tiny fuzzy creatures because the. The body count this man has on tiny furry woodland things is just colossal. Very true. But he has to feed the bigger um, fuzzy woodland things. Uh, and that's make true. Clothing I was going to say, in a very English perspective on how to maintain the countryside. Absolutely. No, <laughs> we, are, we are very much in sort of... <laughs> we have talked about this in respect to Hagrid before, but we are in the conservative Republican conservationist movement. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Murder of marmots, it makes the world go round. Indeed. All right, what... Let's stop pussyfooting around. What questions do you have? BJ, go on ahead. I know you got a couple. Um, I think the biggest is like, so what on earth is the actual <laughs> timeline of this uh, unexpected adventure that Harry takes, and what on earth goes on after that? God only knows. Because, like, I guess my interpretation of secret passages is he arrives sooner, mm-hmm. and then somehow Malfoy has, like, a direct line to Snape that is faster than Ron's arrival, Which and somehow would, Ron yeah. knows. Yeah, I, I, don't, anyway. I don't know. I mean, my impression is that, like, if we were just dealing with the Malfoy and Harry timeline, um... You know, I think we get enough textual evidence to say that, like, the the secret passage out of the castle and into Honeydukes, it takes a long time. Right. Um, so I think that in that case, we could kind of say, okay, well, I mean, maybe if, if Malfoy really booked it back and Harry had to get back into the main village and get into Honeydukes and get down and kind of do that whole thing, like, maybe that makes sense. But the insertion of Ron, even in his hero's journey, <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. Well... On the other side of it, Ron is a wizard, and they never show up late. They show up exactly when they intend to. <laughs> oh, BJ, That's thank true. you. Thank you, BJ. I appreciate that. 
Fair. Uh, Fair. Right. Shall I continue from there, VJ, or do you have further follow-up questions ahead. on this point? So, I have no more to answer on this uh, subject, I, so... I mean, this, this, time, this point of timeline is so off, I almost assumed that Ron was being live-fed information by, like, Lupin in some way. Just because how he's suddenly getting there on time or whatever else, and how he has this information, I don't know. Yeah. But, the Marauder's Map, is it sentient? Or is Snape literally talking with its actual existing creators like he just accidentally pressed the help button on his electronic device? Um, I would imagine that it is kind of like... Um, the journal? No, I would say that it is not as sentient as the journal is. I think that it is dealing on a sort of like magic eight ball system. Okay. I think no. that it can somehow, through the magic tubes and wires or whatever, um, can figure out who it's talking to. Um, and I would say that clearly Snape has, as a person, has prior interactions with the creators of this map that perhaps make it a little more personalized, make hmm. the insults a little more personalized. Good, um, good, good call. However, I do think that it's a little bit of like a Mad Libs of insulting people. Like, I don't think it's, I think it's kind of a random generator, more or less. Right. He hit the map hard, it went on tilt, and this is its default response to doing that. Exactly. <laughs> Okay. BJ, what you got next? Um, I, I I have to judge some of the other questions that I have, given things that I've found out. So go ahead, and I might have another one to throw in. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the maps manufacturers, mm-hmm. uh, this chapter makes a hell of a big deal about that. That is clearly like the, the hanging question we're supposed to focus on going forward in some way, just because of how important it is to um, Snape before all. Sure. And also Lupin's very ambiguous line of, we've met. Mm-hmm. I've got my own theories that I'm going to leave for myself for right now for what he means by that, but can you... It's g- not a riddle that you have to solve right now. <laughs> Could you generally tell me if we have met the manufacturers, or is that too much of a spoiler? Um, Ish. It, it is a spoiler-ish. I will give you the very vague, we have met one or more of these manufacturers. I think. Okay. Anything else, BJ? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, how might a wizard determine the relative sentience of a given thing around them? Or is that just more like a happenstance thing? Because um, I guess the example that I'll give, you know, Snape was interacting with this map. Mm-hmm. Um, is there some sort of uh, inkling that they might get in these interactions or is it like you have to know the triggering i think it's a uh, yeah i think it's a trial and error kind of thing it gets so skidgy because there are so many odd objects in this world that Mm -hmm. you know there's a clear difference between the like temporary and very simple charm that is put on a chocolate frog to give it its one hop versus how this map is is functioning so Versus how how Riddle's diary worked, right? Um, Right. So I think it's a little bit of intuition. I think it's a little bit of trial and error. Uh, And as we see, sometimes people get things wrong. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to smell a rat sometimes. Uh It it is indeed sometimes kind of hard to smell the rat. Spencer. You know, I'm looking through these and I, I, I don't... Sarah, as much as I know you enjoy it, I don't want to hear you just say I'm not, I refuse to answer you're that. You're not. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to skip that experience and say I'm okay. done with questions for right now. 
Okay. So, Spencer, did you know that barn owls are not true owls? What? What are they? You're, you're rattling my reality right now, BJ. What? They're barn owls. They're not true owls. And is this on that end, to the questions portion... I'm looking this up. Um, what the hell is this? <laughs> we, we look forward to our, our next chapter, which is going to be chapter 15, the Quidditch final, which um, I have a feeling it's going to be mostly about Quidditch, and I'm amused that we have more than one Quidditch chapter. I will say I'm flipping through this chapter just to see kind of what is encompassed in it. And certainly not the beginning of the chapter, but the end of chapter, we have um, a whole lot. <laughs> A whole lot of sentences that are in all caps, which indicates that we are in Lee Jordan commentating territory. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not an advertisement this time, but we'll have to see. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been fun, y'all. Indeed it has. Looking forward to the next one.